All right. It is Memorial Day or May 30th, 2022. And this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ojay. And today we've got a shorter show. Uh, I'm coming off a of minor surgery. Everything's all good, but it kind of knocked me out for the weekend. Hence why we've got a delayed show uh, as well as it's a holiday weekend. Lots going on. So we're going to tackle three main topics this time around. One, we're going to talk about the business of judging in MMA. Um, we've had a couple of decisions with people saying that certain people were robbed, some question about the scoring criteria, all of that, et cetera, et cetera. We're not going to dive into who should have won certain fights. Instead, we're going to talk about how judging fits into the overall business structure of MMA, because I think it's a lot more important than people realize to the overall ecosystem. And we also want to take a look at how some other businesses have similar situations in obviously different ways, but how you know, it's kind of a vendor relationship. We'll, we'll break it all down and I'll give you kind of an overview of just how far reaching judging really affects the business side of things. Then we're going to do quick hits. We've got an update from Aljamain Sterling making some comments we have to address as well as a disclosed purse from him. Uh, we have some further elaboration on UFC going to Paris from a article in Sportico I think is worth talking about a little bit. And we have a tidbit of information that I overlooked um, well, I didn't overlook, I just forgot to mention uh, last week in regards to Ari Emanuel's fireside chat that I think is important regarding UFC viewership. So we're going to tackle that. Lastly, we are going to wrap it all up with a mid-year business review of MMA promotions. So I'm going to give you my thoughts and grades on which promotions are rising to the occasion about six months into 2022 and which could use some help or need to kind of pivot and hopefully navigate this year to a positive outlook with that in mind timestamps at the bottom as always or in the description if you're listening on audio and let's go ahead and dive right in so i wanted to talk about this today because there's been a lot of talk about mma judging um particularly with ketlin vera versus holly home where a lot of fans thought home won um a lot of media disagreed he had MVP versus Logan Storley, same kind of scenario. Um, and a lot of people have, have kind of dug their heels in here on their stance. Um, I have as well, but it's, again, th there's enough info out there, right, with the scoring criteria. There's some good videos out there. Um, I know that Aaron Bronstetter has, has covered it in the past two weeks, I believe. Uh, Sean Sheehan, who is with Sure Dog, right? has judging galore. And even though I disagree with them in some cases, um, they, they're extremely informative videos. So I highly recommend you guys check those out. Um, that being said, I wanted to do a piece on where judging fits in business wise, because it's a key cock in the overall wheel, but it's not controlled at all by promotions, right? At least not, supposedly not controlled in most cases there are exceptions right one championship has their own committee where we've seen those fights be overturned for kind of ridiculous reasons and and that nonsense but um in general it is controlled by an athletic commission that's governed either by a particular country or state in the u.s and they assign the judges and that's important because it, that's an outside vendor, right? That's something the, say, the UFC or Bellator or PFL can't control. They can have influence, 
over athletic commissions, but they can't specifically control it. So before I dive into that piece, because there are a couple of examples um, we see in the real world in terms of business relationships where you've got essentially an outside vendor being a key part to the overall product or service. Um, and that changes the landscape of things dramatically for a business instead of owning everything in house. Um, I want to talk about just again, the far reaching impacts of judging, right? Think about all of, of the factors where judging is, comes into play business wise. So first off fighter pay, right? Um, Holly Holm, obviously upset about the loss. She said she believes she won. She did enough. And because she lost, she loses half of her purse. With the show win structure in place in most promotions, you lose half of your salary if judges, quote unquote, get it wrong. Right? And so in close fights, it's that that much more impactful because it determines a fighter's, you know, financial well-being quite a bit. I mean, if you only fight two or three times a year, I mean, home, this was her first fight, I believe, in two years. So, I mean, that's that's a huge chunk of change to lose out on. Um I mean, it's something. It also impacts fighter rankings, right? Vieira won, and now we'll climb up the ranks, Holm go down, and and it gives Vieira kind of the open path to a title shot. Holm was kind of a big gatekeeper there, right? She was, she was beating people nonstop um, outside of Nunez and Shevchenko, right? Outside of, you know, the top tier of the division, she was she was running through them. Um, ever since she beat Ronda Rousey, she lost to Misha Tate in the last round. But after that, she's she's been very good. She's kind of been that gatekeeper for a contender to eventually go on to face Nunez um, until Nunez lost, and then obviously, but. Um, that, that's a huge impact for her specifically when she thinks she won because now also she's down in the rankings and had she won, she probably would have gotten a title shot. So that again has far-reaching fighter financial implications because, you know, Ketlin right now is is in a position to demand a title shot, probably get it, and then even if she loses, that's a big payday for her. And if she wins, well, that's a life-changing endeavor. Whereas Holm now will have to try and work her way back up at her older age after the layoff. I mean, she didn't look nearly as fast as she had in, in other fights. And, and, you know, time catches up with everyone. That wasn't the best fight, of course, on either women's end. But, um, I mean, it's one of those things where she might not get another shot at that payday at that belt. So that's huge business implications there. Um, and that's just fighters, right? Another key piece that we have to talk about is judging dramatically affects sports books, right? The decision of the fight, if it goes to decision in the hand of judges, it affects 
betting, which is a massive, massive part of growth in the sport as a whole, but for specific promotions as well. Um, there is a reason why Endeavor bought IMG Arena, right, to do betting, to get those stats so that they can have real-time betting feeds and all this other stuff. There's a lot of money in sports books, and we've seen through COVID the rise of sports books and gambling. You had the federal law essentially struck down that allowed states to start their sports books. It's popping up in nearly every state now. Um, a couple of states don't have any legislation on the books and will resist it. Most are legalizing it just because of the revenue it's going to bring in for the state. It, it's popular. And if you go overseas, right, if you're not from America, because I'm talking just purely America here, um, you know, you've got sports books all over the place in most places. You've, you've got tabs areas right and and um just stores where you can just go place bets do whatever it's it's just a common thing so a lot of money to be moving hands and if a judge gets it wrong that's gonna affect a lot of people a lot of your customers a lot of your fans because yes there are people that are literally just watching UFC just to bet on UFC, but there's a lot of hardcore fans who are also betting on their favorite fighters or who are trying to bet on fights because they also love watching fights. It will make your fans upset. If they place a hundred dollar wager on someone and the decision goes the wrong way, right? It's, it's natural. It's going to happen. Um, and we've seen this in boxing too, right? This UFC isn't the only sport. Oh my God, I just said UFC is the only sport. Oh, sorry. You can tell I'm affected because that's a major faux pas. I can't believe I just said that. MMA isn't the only sport. God, I'm going to get roasted for that. Um, MMA isn't the only sport where you have these issues, right? Um, just a couple of well-known judges that fans dislike. Adelaide Bird. I'll just stop there. You, you get it. Um, right? We, we've seen the impacts of judging where it then turns consumers off to the product because they're like, there's no way so-and-so won that fight. I mean, you had a lot of people after the home Vera fight and and the MVP Storley fight, more so home Vera. Um, say like home one, that's ridiculous. That's a robbery, all this stuff. If they continue to believe that there's bad judging or if it happens enough times, that will drive them away from the product. It's a negative experience with your product. That's what it is. Now, again, a lot of people are going to say, I'm going to watch fights anyway. They've got monospony power. So you know, for, for the UFC anyway. Um, but for Bellator, that's a much more delicate implication or PFL, right? Like let's, let's take a step back here for the UFC. You've got enough big names that people are probably going to be turned off from the product a little bit, but it's not going to affect their actual purchasing consumer behavior. If said fans though are trying to maybe branch out to pfl or bellator or one smaller promotions where maybe they have little exposure to them and it's maybe their first second time and this type of thing happens they're much more likely to t 
turn it off and never turn it back on on again. It is far more impactful for the lower tier promotions, especially for any promotion not the that isn't the UFC. It can make or break customer conversion. I truly believe that. If I've never watched a promotion, let's say I've never even I've heard of one, I've never watched it. Somebody says, like, hey, let's go, like, you gotta check out this fight. It's huge one. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm normally watching Bellator. I'm normally watching UFC, but I'm up earlier today. Sure, why not? I'll I'll turn on one. And I watch one, and then there's like a terrible decision. Okay. I I might say, oh, no thanks. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I might just not want to watch it again. And that might be my experience. Or let's say I'm a casual fan who has buddies who are super into the UFC. And they're like, man, you've got to watch this. <laughs> you've got to watch this home Vieira fight, which I'm sure so many people were saying. But they're like, you got to God, I mean, come on, Patrick, you got to watch this whole Vera fight. They could wear me down and say, all right, I'll come watch this fight. Fine, I'll check it out, see what it's all about. And I go and watch that fight. Yes, I'm probably turned off because of how boring it was anyway. But if I'm really like, well, all right, one one. And if, in fact, that fight is a perfect example where I'm probably already turned off because it was pretty boring. But then if I really believe the home one and Vera gets the hand raised, I might be like, man, that's this is a garbage thing. I'm done. And that might just turn me off. Whereas if you go watch, um, you know, I, I get invited to watch Gastelum Adesanya or um, Holloway Poirier or, you know, McGregor Diaz one or two, right? Like suddenly that changes a lot of stuff suddenly whoa that's crazy that was an awesome fight okay i'm kind of interested i'll start watching like that i have a buddy who i was able to not fully convert but he occasionally watches some fights because i think the first fight i turned him on to was mcgregor diaz one and he was like that's crazy yeah i mean that those are the types of fights you you get people to convert to that being said i also had a friend who I convinced like, Hey, let's just like turn on the UFC. And they're like, yeah, sure. We'll check it out. And I forget what fight night it was, but like, it wasn't a great one. And they're like, yeah, okay, it's whatever. It's, it's about the experience that first time. So if that's, if that's the first exposure that adds to the negative experience, if they believe X fighter one and Y fighter gets their hand raised, that can turn off customer conversion. It's important. So that's how it affects, you know, the fans. You've got essentially fans that are unhappy. It's a negative experience with your product or service. Whether you know you agree about scoring criteria and blah blah blah, it doesn't matter. If the fans don't like it, it's a negative experience, which is never great. So that's how it impacts. We've talked about how it impacts the fighters, how it impacts the fans, the promotion, right? You've got situations in the past, which thankfully it hasn't happened in a long time, but where you know. A title changes hands over bad judging. Um, St. Pierre Hendricks comes to mind. Um, there, there are a couple couple bad ones, right? Where it's like, whoa. Where even Dana White comes out and goes, whoa, it's, it's nuts. That's crazy that that's how the judges saw that. And then for the promotion, depending on who they're trying to push, 
that can be very, very important, right? Despite what promoters will tell you, they want certain people to win. The best example of this in most recent history is MVP versus Logan Storley. It's no secret that Bellator has put a ton of money behind MVP and is trying to market them as a bigger homegrown star. Um, Storley too, kind of, but not in the same way as MVP, right? I mean, MVP is, is their homegrown star. Um, you had Scott Coker clearly make some comments where he's like, I thought, you know, MVP was doing more damage. Can't just blah, blah, blah. That's always a bad time for a promoter. If you push a certain fighter and then they lose by decision based on what you perceive to be bad judging or the fans perceive to be bad judging, it's not a good time. It's not because you're put in a position where that fighter now has lost some of their luster. Um, they've lost their, uh, they've, they've lost, you know, their position in line in MVP's case, lost a title that has far reaching implications for a promotion. That's part of the reason why I believe that the UFC has gone so gung ho on the brand, right? And why actually not just the UFC, so many other promotions have PFL with the tournament format, um, Bellator to an extent, it's about brand recognition. It's, it's Bellator is more pro fighter than say the UFC, of course, but it's still trying to say like, we have some of the you know greatest guys here. We have all like, we've got these guys that are just big, you know, homegrown stars that would crush people in the UFC, AJ McKee versus Pitbull, right? That was another decision that was a little contentious where um, obviously for Coker, AJ McKee winning is a bigger deal because you've got then two defenses, even if the second one was not the best. Um, but you've got AJ McKee undefeated, who is your homegrown guy. And it's like, yeah, he's, he's, you know, we've got some of the best fighters in the world here. You have some of that mystique still of, well, maybe this guy is better than Volkanovsky and Holloway in the UFC. Who knows? Um, it, it's bad business for the promotion because those marketing dollars then essentially become a sunk cost. If somebody loses their shine enough to right, particularly bad fight and then loses, which you could argue that's what happened with McKee. Um, you could argue it away. That's what's happened with MVP, although MVP had lost before. Um, that that has far, far-reaching effects into the fans. You have to, in order to build a star, we've talked about this before, in order to build a star in MMA, you have to have a personality and you have to win in dramatic fashion. You do those two things, you're probably going to reach stardom and maybe crossover stardom. I mean, then you have to have kind of a larger life personality, do the social politicking, all of that. Um, it's why it's rare. But you, again, have to be dominant and have dramatic wins. If you lose, it's very hard to come back. Uh, Francis Ngannou, on that initial run up to Stipe, looked like he was about to be a breakout star, be a crossover, heavyweight, face of 
the division of of the UFC in some ways. And then he got ragdolled by Stipe for five rounds. And the, you know, shine kind of wore off on him. And he came back and, again, had some crazy knockouts, including one over Stipe. And he retained over Gone, who was kind of the next heavyweight, who a lot of people were saying, oh, is the new Nganu. But for both those scenarios, it it's one of those things where Nganu had definitely lost some shine. He got it back, but he lost some of that shine. And it took a while for him to regain that, oh, he's still a knockout machine. And yeah, I took a loss, but it's all good. It takes a while. Fans are unforgiving about that. I mean, unless you've already reached that stardom level where, okay, you hit a peak and you hit the threshold, now you can lose and it's not going to be that big a deal as long as you're not losing every time out. You're, if you're on the rise, you got to win. So bad judging can affect that too. And then that, again, hits the promotion. Imagine if McGregor lost to Holloway at featherweight because of like terrible judging. Imagine what happens then. Do we get Mystic Mac? Do we get all? Think about the course, how different things would be if that happened. It can it can be far-reaching. So again, affects the fans, the fighters, the promotion itself, the ecosystem financially with betting and all of that as well. It's it's an important cog in the machine. And now to, again, elaborate a little bit further on what we talked about earlier with the vendor scenario, it's an outside vendor, essentially. It's it's not the greatest example, but it's the best one I can come up with in my semi-post-surgery case. Um, think of it like you make a particular product for... I don't know. Let's say let's say you make a Snuggie, right? Those were all the rage for a long time. Snuggies. Um, so you make Snuggies. You sell Snuggies. That's your product. You're made for TV product, all of that, you know, et cetera. And, and you're the inventor of the Snuggie. You're making tons of money. Everybody loves your products, whatever. But in order to actually sell that product, you almost certainly have a manufacturing deal where you are working with a vendor who is going to actually manufacture the Snuggie product and it's kind of a whole group thing, right? You control a lot of it and you have influence over the vendor because you're the bigger company, but at the same time, you require certain things from that manufacturer. And so let's imagine, right, that as you're doing this, that manufacturer ends up doing something wrong with the fabric of a Snuggie. And, and let's say they make it <coughs> coarse and it's only one batch, right? But that batch gets sent out and it's, it's coarse and it's not right. And it just feels awful. And you got a bunch of angry customers. You were relying on that guy to, to do the right thing. Right. Or, you know what, here, I just thought off the top of my head, a better example. Let's say I'm a car manufacturer. Let's say I'm Honda or, Ford or GM or what have you. And I'm manufacturing most of my car parts, but I require uh, electronics, right? For the new electronic dashboard. So I require a certain 
computer chip or I require a um, special part that needs to be built in so that people can have the display that they want, touchscreen display on the car. For whatever reason, the manufacturer I'm working with who makes these computer chips or um, works to build out the display correctly and program the display has me- messed up and made it so that it's not a touch screen and you have to use buttons on the side and it's kind of all wonky and whatever. People are going to be pissed, right? And let's say it's not, again, affecting the entire range of things, but it's just there's one particular car where they've built in they've built in the touchscreen display where it's not really touchscreen and it's just a wonky menu that people find hard to navigate right that reflects poorly on me as the honda the honda or ford or whoever car maker and it affects my bottom line because people probably aren't going to want to buy that car now it's a little different in mma because again we're talking about they've already paid or are paying and they're getting that at the end um you know it, it's it's more of a repeat thing that's why i went with the snuggie reference right where like which it's think of more of any type of reusable product like a if you're buying soda and then a manufacturer messes up and doesn't flavor the soda correctly so it's flat i buy a six pack of pepsi and it's flat and i hate it and i say this is garbage i'm probably still gonna go buy pepsi again but it's a negative reflection on my product because a vendor has messed up somewhere along the way in the manufacturing. That's important. That's probably the best example. So of course I pulled that out at the end, Uh, (laughs) but that's important because again, it's a relationship where I, as the, the face of the product and the name on my product and and design idea, all that, I'm still relying on a vendor to complete my product, right? I still need help. I'm Pepsi. I'm not, well, I'm Pepsi. So now I'm huge and I probably have my own manufacturing plants, but in other parts of the world, I'm probably still, you know, at certain plants, I'm leasing them out. I have deals with local vendors and I'm relying on them to complete my product. <clears throat> that's that's important. And again, I can influence them. I can say like, hey, here's the agreements we have. Yeah, I mean, with manufacturing, you set up SLAs, you have a whole bunch of assuming this m- amount of product is lost and guaranteed all that, but you're still putting your hands of your finished product and your, your reputation on somebody else that's in the background. That is the case with MMA judging, which is why it's so important we look to resolve some of the issues in judging, right? How that happens, I unfortunately am not the best mind to speak to that. Again, I've listed off a couple names who have said some things. Um, I know that certain athletic commissions are doing great job. Kansas Athletic Commission, if you have not watched that early fight business podcast, I highly recommend you do with that interview. They're striving to get better. They're striving to take some of these mindsets because, again, some people are coming from a boxing background. Some people are learning from other people up through certain state agencies. It's a mishmash. Some people are going through John McCarthy's course. It's a mishmash kind of scenario where they're trying to get it more uniform. 
because we do have situations with bad judging still. It's I'd say it's still better than it was a while ago, but eh, sometimes it seems to be better in my opinion, but there has to be movement towards standardization because it impacts so much, so much where that leads. I don't know. I know eventually I wouldn't be shocked if 20 years down the line, we have some kind of AI that is programmed to do it that some people might scoff at that, but uh, I could see it. I could see it happening. Uh, And I think a more robust program like John McCarthy's uh, and others where it's kind of a stand, a gold standard of this is where you go for judging would help a lot. And that like only having say state athletic commissions uh, hiring or assigning judges if they've completed this course, you know, kind of like that standard, what you would see out in, uh, the tech world, right? Where most, most people, PMP certification, I have project management professional. It's the gold standard. If you get that, then people look at that and say, Oh, okay. This, there are other project management courses and methodologies out there that are quite good, but a PMP is the known one. It's okay. You've got to have this. A lot of jobs require it. I think that judging, especially higher level fights, having some sort of standard certification would help. But beyond that, it's hard to say. Um, a couple of different ways you could go. But ultimately, again, judging is a key piece that promotions can't control. They can influence, but they can't control. And it affects everything with an MMA promotion. It is a key integral piece, unless, again, you've got a knockout or a finish, but <clears throat> or submission or something of that nature. But for the most part, for I would say probably the majority of fights, it's a key piece. It's something to keep in mind when we're looking at the business side of things. Remember, even if it seems as kind of a, oh yeah, judging, it's whatever. A lot of times on the surface, it can seem one way and then it has a lot of deep implications that track back to it. And when it's not standardized and when it's not in the promotions control, you've got some various effects, right? They, they promotions love getting rid of variability that right there. If they can figure out how to do judging where it's completely standard and takes away a lot of the guesswork which I don't know if that's ever possible because it's subjective, but if you can make it as objective as possible, that's the end goal because it reduces your risks of a negative experience. So there you have it. Business of MMA judging. All right. So I want to do a couple quick hits here before we move on to the mid-year review. Um, Aljamain Sterling made some waves with his comments that were pretty much a rebuttal to Michael Chandler's comments on fighter pay. Um, made some good points. Uh, hilariously enough, at the end, he did another tweet after his his comments where he was like, I'm just out for mine. I don't want a union, which is like, ah, this close. Uh, but um, he disclosed that he made 400000 as champion. Um, that's interesting because, again, 400000 is your base, and then I'm assuming pay-per-view points on top of that, is lower than what you've seen in the past with a 
especially with heavier champions, right? Um, we've seen a lot of 1 million or 1.5 million guarantees, usually 1 million. Um, but this isn't the first time we've seen lower weight classes kind of get paid less. We know that Figueredo and Demetrius Johnson were making around 300K, right? And then eventually Figueredo got pay-per-view points and all that. But there is the skew where just even in base salaries, when those were coming out more often, heavier fighters tend to make more money. Seems to be the case of champions as well. I I thought it was interesting that 400K for one of the deepest divisions in the UFC is kind of mind-boggling. But... He's making 400K as his purse as champ. So that we know that's less than several other champions we've seen in the past. I mean, we know a lot of challengers' purses have been 500K to challenge four higher belts. So they don't get pay-per-view points, but still that, that base being higher is important. And that's probably part of Aljo's ire towards that stuff, right? Um, but just thought it was an important thing we should touch on. Uh, Next thing I want to talk about is UFC France, right? We've talked about how they're moving into Paris. This is part of their global expansion, looking for new markets. Uh, Sportico did an article talking about the history of it and all of this, but a big standout tidbit in that Sportico article was that the UFC estimates they've got about 4 million fans in the country alone. Um, That will go into a... Another tidbit we have here for quick hits with the Aria Manual conversation, but 4 million fans is a, is pretty nice for one country, right? And to estimate that that's how much you have, um, that's, that's kind of, again, pouring money into an expanding market. There's a fair amount of money to be made if they believe they can get 4 million fans at various levels. Uh, I'm sure they've divvied it up into their eight segments or so with hardcore hardcores versus you know, the more casual, but if they can convert 4 million fans in France alone, it explains why they're going to Paris September 3rd and why they're looking for guys like gone and others to try and kind of convert those fans. This ties into the last thing I want to bring up for quick hits, which is last episode. I had talked about Ari Emanuel's fireside chats. One piece of information I had meant to throw in there that I had forgotten to is in that discussion Emmanuel talks about how 90% of UFC viewership is international only 10% is domestic they're trying to grow more domestic but that's a huge that's a huge tidbit there because essentially all of the pay-per-view buys and everything we've talked about right that's only 10% when we're talking about domestic pay-per-views anyway of UFC's estimated viewership. And that's a big reason why international rights deals for them have been going up and doubling and why they've pushed so hard in these markets, why they push for Whaley to get a title shot right away. And then once she won, double their rights. Why when Habib was the champion, when, and again, redid UFC Russia deal and all of that stuff and why they're not taking away UFC Russia's deal despite the war in Ukraine and everything else going on there. Uh, while they've moved into the Middle East, while they've done the push in the UK as of late with the media rights coming up. 90% of their viewership is outside the US. So yes, for pay-per-views, they were making much more money when they were variability, like domestically, because 
in the U.S., pay-per-views are the highest by far. Uh, a lot of other places either don't pay for pay-per-views or pay a much reduced amount. But for these media rights deals, for sponsorships, for ad revenue partners and and part strategic partnerships in various regions, that's huge. It's part of why Ari goes on to say in that same uh quote you know he doesn't have pay-per-views anymore he's got his he's got his set number the way they expand again partnerships sponsorships global expansion geographic regions by global expansion is what i mean that's part of the reason why if 90 percent of your viewership is outside of the u.s you re-up those meteorites deals for double what they're at previously and then you work for local sponsorships state country, depending on what you're looking at, right? Uh, merchandising deals, all that stuff. And eventually live gates. But again, I think that will be kind of depending because the U.S. is probably going to pay the most for seats unless you've got like a UFC London or a big show, UFC Paris, right? So it'll be interesting to see where they go. But again, important information there. So those are the quick hit segments. Let me know if I missed any quick hits. That's your task to use a viewer. All right. Last thing I want to cover today in this Memorial Day episode, mid-year business reviews of each promotion. So I'm going to talk about some highlights of particular promotions and then whether I think they've got a good positive or negative outlook. And then I'll go ahead and kind of give you my grade. Um, this was all kind of done last minute. I will more formalize this if you guys like this and kind of make it a bigger deal each year. Let me know if you like this segment. Um, as as I go through this and see, or if you want me to change up the format too, I'll be interested to hear your guys' feedback on this. So let's start with the PFL. They have, let's see, in, in their favor, right? They've gotten a lot of sponsorships, big sponsorships. They've re-upped their ESPN deal. Sources are saying they're valued at 500 million. I don't know if that's entirely true, um, but it's definitely they're valued more than they were last year. So that's big. And they've got Kayla Harrison back. So they've got their big star who's still undefeated, which last season was kind of a mess with people they were trying to bring in and push, but they still have Kayla Harrison. They've still got her as the face of the promotion. And you've got those big sponsorships now, which is guaranteed revenue, which PFL desperately needs. So those are all pretty good positive things. On the flip side, you have the betting scandal, right, with the Challenger series, which did not go well at all, uh, despite having some celebrities on there and you had, you know pushed for the Challenger series to have the the pre-tape fights and, and not mention it and have it be a whole thing. That's always a big hit. Um, you still have viewership, which is nowhere near what you'd prefer, at least on what we've seen on ESPN numbers. Um You've, you've got some concerns about, you know, fighters making weight again with Ray Cooper, defending champion, having issues. He, you have a couple of, couple of drawbacks this year. Um, not exactly the smoothest start, not their worst by any means, but, you know, a couple of, couple of road bumps. The outlook, uh, I would say, in general, is pretty positive. The fact they were able to secure another round of funding, get those bigger sponsorships going, 
sign a couple of bigger names and get a couple of, of media rights deals going as well. And the betting issue seems to have just kind of blown over, which is big. I mean, it's not bad. Um, if if PFL continues to not be allowed to be bet on, that's not great. Because again, the amount of money that that stuff touches, as we've talked about, is pretty huge. So that's that's really a big, depending on where that investigation goes, that's really a big kind of thorn in their side. Um, they've also had the... World Series of Fighting Global talk about threatening lawsuits and saying that you can't, you know, host shows out of the U.S. without consent. We've got to talk about this with PFL talking about going international and doing their pay-per-view division and all of this. That's something that is looming too, right? Is that WSOF Global still owns the rights to a lot of their names and all this other stuff and is supposed to have a bunch of stuff, um, set up and that's not really happening. So you've got a kind of a legal battle going on behind the scenes, even though it's kind of quieted down, it's still there. Overall, I'm going to give the PFL a B here just because yes, ratings are, are not where you want. And you've got a couple of stumbling blocks, but it's a much better companies in a much better position than they were prior to last season, especially right after the end of last season. And you've got enough sponsorships coming in, more bigger name, blue collar name sponsorships coming in, or sorry, uh, blue chip, not blue collar, um, sponsorships coming in that it could start to pick up some steam, right? There's still an appetite, even with the downturn happening um, on the global level, there's still an appetite for the sport. There's an appetite where... You know, people are kind of seeing this as a big opportunity and seeing it maybe more as a safe haven investment based on what the UFC has been able to do and Endeavor has been able to do with that. Um, there, there's enough prospects out there for the PFL that it's not a bad time. So I'm going to give them a B. Let's move on to one championship. <clears throat> so one has had a interesting year. They have had a couple of big events, um, but they have also talked about a big meteorites deal. We're talking about a SPAC and all this other stuff for a while now. Continually saying like, yes, we'll have a big deal eventually. It'll be a huge thing. And finally, they reveal it to be Amazon, which again, big name, but in terms of what the actual rights deal is there, hard to say. It's not... <laughs> It's unlikely that that deal is as lucrative as, of course, one has made it out to be. And especially with how long it took to get it finalized, I wouldn't be shocked if it's something where Chaudhry and one were hoping for a better deal with Warner and Warner was like, no, we're not doing this, especially based on the numbers and everything we've seen. And... So they got a slightly better deal at Amazon where, yes, Amazon is craving live sports content. So they're like, sure, we're, we're all about this. But I, I can't imagine them paying big bucks for one championship. We know that at one point Amazon was working to possibly buy the, the UFC, right? Um, so they've had an appetite for the sport. And this is probably their way of staying involved and in kind of keeping them in the space until the UFC media rights are up again. But 
I don't know that it's a, it's a huge deal that everyone's making it out to be, but still it's a, it's a win for them in terms of that. So that's still positive. And again, you've had some good title fights. You've had, you've had some good events. So it's out there on, on the negative side, again, not the media rights deal that they obviously wanted. Um, You've got the U.S. expansion, but they've kind of been hampered there. Uh, UFC coming in with UFC 275 and getting a ton of sponsors and and doing a big show in their backyard. Not great, including the road to the UFC where they're getting a bunch of fighters in the area, which is kind of one's backyard. That's not great because that's UFC kind of just coming in saying, hey, we're the big show. Uh, We're going to go ahead and start poaching what we want. Uh, So that's a that's a bad sign. Um, And then. Again, uh, just not as much buzz as you'd think for one stuff lately. It's not that it's bad. It's just it it doesn't seem to have that same pull outside of the hardcore fan base. So Outlook, I'm not super sold on. I've, I've said before that one has been in financial trouble. We know their financial records are not great. That's another hit against them in 2022. They're they're current losses just continued to snowball we're now at the point where um again it, it's one may survive and with amazon they probably will especially if they keep getting funding which it seems that again chachi's just got the silver tongue able to do that but it's it's going to be interesting um to see where where one ends up because especially if a global recession hits, they're going to have to do a lot more to get money out of their investors than they have been, would be my guess. So I'm going to give them a C minus. Uh, they got the Amazon deal, which they needed, but that was about all they got. Other than that, they've had some some setbacks and it's been kind of a big thing. Uh, um, you know, Ong Long and Song is no longer champion. Uh, they probably didn't get the media rights deal they wanted. It's, it's not great. Not a great time. Just squeaking by. All right. uh, Let's go to Bellator. So Bellator is another interesting one, right? Post-CBS Viacom merger, Bellator is behind the Showtime paywall. They are there, but they're hardly promoting fights. I mean, I I think the biggest indictment on their promotion, again, goes back to the uh, AJ McKee Pitbull 2 fight, which was by far the biggest fight to make in Bellator at the time. And there was almost no promotion. People were saying, I forgot this was even happening. I forgot. When 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 I saw, I think it was through YouTube, I saw the press conference. And as I was just scrolling YouTube and I was like, whoa, right, that's, that's coming up. That's bad. When it's... it's <laughs> supposedly your two best fighters in the promotion squaring off again for a highly anticipated rematch. That's not a good sign. It is the opposite. So again, um, one of those scenarios where it's, it's not great for Bellator on, on that regard in terms of marketing again, cost wise, they're probably, they're just trying to look for, cost savings as i mentioned in a previous video a couple weeks back but still not a good time positives are they're on showtime which is is a nice boost uh they have had you know some interesting fights 
and they've been trying to push things together, but it's there's very few positives, honestly. Um, other than they've got the backing of Viacom and CBS, a major conglomerate, so they are much much less worried about turning a profit than they were before. And we knew they were profitable before that merger. So they're probably still profitable, but again, yeah, it, it seems to be less of a focus. You've also got as a hit on Bellator, uh, you know, champions or would be stars, potential stars struggling. I mentioned earlier, MVP, AJ McKee, both scenarios, not a good look for either guy, not a good look for the promotion because they're the homegrown guys that they're trying to push. It's hard when they lose, especially the way they lose, right? When you lose like that in both scenarios, it's, it's just a bad look and it turns people off from the product. You've also had, you know, Ryan Bader do his lay and pray thing on Czech Congo. You've had a lot of boring fights in Bellator. It has not been the year of crazy, crazy knockouts. It's been either beatdowns with Cyborg just beating people down, uh, Liz Caramouche getting a wild finish that's controversial with the ref, right? Like, I, it's been a lot of controversy and a lot of not great fights. Um, outlook moving forward. The positive thing again is they are backed by Viacom CBS, so they've got they they've got a fairly stable company behind them that even with a downturn, right? They're probably fine. Unlikely they'd get cut or anything like that. And they're probably still profitable. I'm going to guess they're still profitable. So they're in a nice spot where they don't have to worry about, you know, really drawing in major numbers for each show. How, what their numbers are, it's hard to say. We, we've seen some of their ratings and it's not been, fantastic but again it's showtime so that's limited potential but still not not the best ratings even with showtime being in less homes it's not a great time uh, yeah it's for me it's a d um they they again don't get an f because they are you know what no i'm gonna give them an f because they really they really have not done much other than been backed by Viacom CBS, but they haven't really made the moves they need to um, in terms of marketing, in terms of building bigger stars. They've had a pretty disappointing 2020 overall. So yeah, you know what? I'm going to give you an F Bellator. Um, no, you know, I'll give you a D because F is a true fail. You've at least been trying. You've been putting on the right fights. You've been doing that stuff, but you've been, I don't know, barely trying. It's, it's rough. So that leaves... Last but not least, um, the UFC. So they've had an interesting year. Again, um, some of the guys that they'd like to win are not winning, or if they're winning, it's in less than less than ideal fashion. Um, pay-per-view buys are down, so that's kind of eh, because, you know, uh, Oliveira versus Gaethje is the biggest pay-per-view buy of the year and that's over 400,000. So pay review buys are down, down compared to the last couple of years. And they were coming off the best year the company's ever had in 2021. So it's always hard to top that. That being said, media rights deals renewed for 
double what they were before in multiple international markets. Um, big moves in sponsorships and partnerships with just more and more money coming in. Guaranteed money too. Non, non-variable fixed. It's huge. Um, despite pay-per-view buys being down, it doesn't really affect the UFC as much. Again, as we've talked about multiple times, it's more an ESPN problem. But it's it's hard to say they still haven't had a successful year this year the ufc they've really they've really managed to capitalize on the best year they've ever had with new sponsorships new partner activations new geographic footprints uh big pushes again into the london market you've got a couple stars kind of brewing with patty pimblet which i'm not sure he lasts i really don't think he does to be honest but He's still kind of brewing there. Um, you had gone, although that didn't go the way they had hoped, but he's still going to be a pull and he'll be big in Paris, right? Um, and with Nganu out, yeah, you've lost your big star. That's probably the biggest con is right now you've got several fighters talking about leaving. You now have the sunset clauses where it says, you know, after X amount of years, like you can actually leave. So like Nganu almost certainly is going to go box. Another mark against them this year has been the rise of fighters, not only complaining about pay, but then making the jump over to boxing. We've talked about that on the substitution episode, as well as just the intersection between MMA and boxing at the moment. It's going to be important for the UFC to kind of head that off. The outlook is still positive because, you know, Endeavor is really relying on the UFC to make money, but they've, They've done a great job at cutting out most of the variable costs. I will say, though, I'll still give them an overall slightly negative outlook for this year because, one, it's unlikely they're going to top last year's numbers, which will affect investor sentiment. And two, interest rates and looming global turmoil is going to affect Endeavor more with the amount of debt they have, right? Um, Their stock price is much lower than it was even just six months ago, or even, even three, four months ago. And they've got a lot of debt on their books. And the UFC is, again, cranking out money for them, but a lot of other places, not so much. And the UFC will be stable to a point, but if there's more turmoil in the markets that hits Endeavor, they may end up have having to go back to the UFC and try and cut more costs. Again, sign more contenders, guys, cut more vets, uh, do less live shows in other areas and markets because they want to control production costs, lots of things in the air. So I'm going to give them overall, I'm going to give them a B plus because they've still managed to really parlay that global reach. And especially with the media rights deals, which is massive, like that deserves a lot of, a, a lot of credit in their favor and they've got risks ahead, but they've really done a great job mitigating most of those risks, at least from a standpoint of yes, those risks could occur and cause impact, but the impact of, of those risks are, are low. You're not going to get any major impactful risks coming to fruition at this point. Um, The antitrust lawsuit is one, but that's still in limbo out in the middle of nowhere with Judge Bulware, who 
who knows what's going on with that. Um, and then you've got, again, a couple of other things with Endeavor maybe kind of having a rocky road, but the UFC itself is well insulated, right? Even if Endeavor took a massive turn, like say there was a giant scandal and all this other stuff happened, Endeavor would just sell off the UFC and the UFC would be fine. I mean, the UFC in and of itself is a profit-generating machine right now. And fighters are complaining, but you've only having Ganu leaving right now. If all of a sudden a ton of fighters start to leave for boxing in other places, then you're in trouble. But with the way these clauses are set up and what we've seen so far with fighter sentiment, I don't think that will be a huge issue. So I'll give them a B plus overall. Let me know what you think of my ratings. Let me know if I missed out on any criteria. Did you like this segment? Do you want me to continue to do it? I can list more of you know, structured criteria out next time. Let me know your thoughts. I'd love your feedback on this one because I think it'll be a segment I want to keep doing if possible uh, every half year and then year-end review, of course. All right, everybody. That ends our special Memorial Day Fight Business Podcast. I will still try and get out a regular FPP this Friday as well. I'm not sure when this one is going to go up, um, but I will still aim to get that one out on Friday as, as normals, which is kind of the spot right now that we're in. So let me know your feedback. And thoughts. I hope all of you celebrating the holiday weekend had a great holiday. Uh, for those of you in other countries, uh, you know, I hope you had a great weekend in general. But as always, let me know your questions, your feedback on all this. And until next time, get money.